This episode of the Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Sales Leadership United. Since 2019, Sales Leadership United has grown to become the largest collection of sales leadership assets in the world. Check out salesleadershipunited.com and tap into tools used by elite sales leaders worldwide. Accelerate your leadership development. Solve modern sales challenges. Use fully prepped sales meetings in your next team meeting. Thousands of hours of sales leadership materials indexed and searchable with a single click. Create your own personal sales leadership library. Head to salesleadershipunited.com and use the code ROB at signup to get a free trial on me. Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth from the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders who are taking what the market gives and then some. This show features leaders of teams who are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and creating life-changing years for the people they lead. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Sales Leadership United, the world's largest collection of sales leadership assets. Be sure to check out the all-new salesleadershipunited.com. Fast-track your sales leadership development, gain insights into how other sales leaders are solving challenges similar to the ones you face, and tap into over 400 leadership topics, hundreds of video insights, battle-tested leadership frameworks, and new material that comes out every single week. Sales Leadership United is the easiest investment in yourself you'll ever make. Head to salesleadershipunited.com, use the code ROB at signup, and get a free trial on me. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders who are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello, and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. The show continues to grow so fast, and I love all of your direct messages. Keep them coming. I love to hear how our conversations are helping you grow in your career. And today's guest, he's going to do more of that for you. He's going to help you take your career up another level. I'm really excited to, to welcome Lee Benson to the Sales Leadership Podcast. Over the last 25 years, Lee has built and sold seven companies. And along the way, he's worked with hundreds of leadership teams, ranging from small companies with just four team members, all the way up to large companies with over 40,000 employees. And as he's done this, Lee has discovered important consistencies in how teams learn to grow by creating more value predictably. Lee's created this leadership operating system that's had a huge impact in helping leaders have more impact all while simplifying their operating rhythm and activity mix. And today, Lee's operating system is used by companies all around the world. Listen, he's a high-impact leader, a best-selling author of the book, Your Most Important Number, something you're going to want to get your hands on. And he's going to share today how leaders have more impact faster. I've been looking forward to this conversation. I cannot wait to get started. For those of you that get the video version of this, you'll already know why when you see his band and his his uh, guitars in the background. Lee, welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, and thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, Rob, so good to be here. Thanks for having me, and uh, this is going to be a great conversation. Been looking forward to it all week. <laughs> I have as well. I appreciate you, man. Why don't we start uh, by introducing you to fifty thousand sales leaders all around the world? We we got a, a good group that's going to be excited. They got they're going to love our conversation today. Why don't you just introduce yourself and what you do, uh, your your firm and what you do for your customers? Sure. I'm I'm the, currently the CEO of a company called Execute to Win. I founded it to help other organizations improve their most important number, which is all about creating value faster. 
And I have something that we lead called CEO Execute Masterminds, where we limit it to eight CEOs that are in high growth mode. And we meet one day every single month. And the results have been extraordinary there. So that's my whole mission is helping organizations create value faster. Yeah, which I hope got everybody's attention. So you run a performance group right now where you help people learn to uh, to create value faster. You run masterminds. You've got your own book. It's what you write about. It's what you do. It's how you hang out. It's who you spend time with. Uh, you've got a really interesting perspective around performance and growth. So I'm really excited. Uh, this is going to be a fun conversation. I know our 45 minutes or so is going to disappear super fast. So why don't we just jump in, baby? Let's do um, it. How does a company grow faster? Like that's what you do. You help organizations grow faster. And we got all these sales leaders that have the pr the pressure of growth resting on their shoulders. Mm. What's your experience been? How do you grow faster? You know, I, I think one of the biggest challenges for most organizations is how do you get all leaders on the same page around creating value? If you ask a leader in any organization at any level, how do you create value for the organization? What would they say? And typically, they give me an answer that's kind of a job description. And, and a big part of what I do is I get every team down to identifying one number, whether it's the senior team at the top, sales team, marketing team, doesn't matter, all the way to the front line, regardless of the size of the organization, down to one number that does two things. Above all others, it says you're winning or losing the game. And two, it drives the majority of the right behaviors. And when you improve yours, it will improve the next one up and it will create all the way to the top of the organization. So everybody is creating value in exactly the same direction. So if you ask a leader, how do you create value for the organization? They say, well, this is our most important number. This is why, this is how it drives, we believe the majority of the right behaviors. And this is the best work that we're doing to continually improve that number. And here's how it fits in with the rest of the organization. That is wildly powerful. You never hear anything like that when you ask that question. And same thing applies to a non-supervisory team member. How do you create value? I love it when they say, I'm on this team. This is our most important number. This is my role. Here are my outcome-based responsibilities. And this is the best work that I'm doing to help improve our most important number. What do you say about that, Rob? Seems like a unicorn, man. Seems like the thing you hear about but never see. Uh, I, I'm sitting back with my hands behind my head right now. For those not seeing the video, I'm like, wow, I like the sounds of this. I, I got instantly like a dozen questions that I can't wait to dive into about how you do that. I want to start with you tell me like, I mean, you're obviously an expert at helping people create that kind of an environment. And I think the creation of an environment is for sure a leader's job. But when you get that kind of alignment, like how rare is that to get like, is, is, how is is that an uncommon thing to, to find? Well, it's really easy in my experience to roll out the MIND methodology, which stands for most important number in drivers. And I, I highlight exactly how that works in my book titled Your Most Important Number um, in any organization of any size. You know, the, the, the secret here is just to be intentional about the way an organization and each team creates value. So what typically happens is depending on the leader that's leading a team, they'll have their own way of creating value. And if you have five leaders in an organization, 50, 500, 5,000 leaders, even though the company might say, well, this is our mission and our vision and our values and all that, 
every leader has a slightly to significantly different way of guiding their teams to create value. So you get this huge, complex sort of mix of things. And that's why it doesn't happen. But if everybody would say, you know, hey, we're going to have one way of creating value, every team's going to operate this way, even though every team can do something significantly different, you're going to have one number that does the two things I mentioned, you're going to have a set of categories of work that your team should be really good at leveraging to improve that number. And we should see the actions that really demonstrate the best work you're doing to improve it. And now you've got every team continually improving alignment around what they can do to improve the most important number, decision-making to make sure we're doing the right work at the right time in the right order, and then accountability to make sure everybody's doing what they said they would. So not that hard, but you have to be intentional. And the way I like to say it is let's do less significantly better. Let's not make the complex impossible, which seems to be the unintentional approach of most organizations. All right. Be fun. I, I think you just got a lot of people's attention. So I, I want to, man, sorry, my voice. I want to, I want to deconstruct this as much as we can, because I think that you're going to give a masterclass here. And I, I can't wait to make it easy for people to get your book and to connect to you, but let's start with what I think. And maybe I'm going to ask it wrong. I want you to guide me rather than the other way around. You have this system that uses one single number to drive an entire company. And it does two very specific things for a company when you get it, um, from what you said already. Can you kind of introduce a little more about that? Can we start, like, how do you figure out what the one single number is? Like, reminds yeah. me of Lord of, the, Lord of the Rings, one ring to rule them all, right? And so, <laughs> Well, um, for sure, it's not the same number throughout the entire organization. So at the top of a for-profit company, it's going to be some, usually, some version of profit, or cash flow, depending on how capital intensive the business is. So it could be okay. net profit, EBITDA, whatever they call that. Um, I love cash flow. Um, you know, I came from a very complex aerospace business, and cash flow is by far the most important number because you can make a lot of money at the bottom line and go out of business because you put all the money on the shelf and you can't pay your bills. Mm. So at the top, it's it's going to be profit or cash flow. But as you start cascading out, um, every team we'll have this conversation. What's the one number that above all others says we're winning or losing and drives majority of the right behaviors? Now, there may be 5, 10, 15, 20 other things that my team is going to measure, which are really important, but we only measure those things if they can help us make better decisions to improve our most important number. That's it. So imagine mapping this with every leader and their teams throughout the entire organization and all these numbers when Im improved, as I said earlier, they, they improve the next one up and this all accretes to the top of the organization, creating you know, complete alignment around uh, value creation. And, and I, th I think, for example, the job of the CEO or the top leader in any organization is to continually improve the value of their organization. That's it, that's their job. And then we'll get into sales and marketing and, and a number of other things. Um, one, one of the best examples to think about a most important number. So a sales number will be different than a, probably than a marketing number, than an HR number, legal, finance, et cetera. But HR is such a great um, example of how to think about driving the majority of the right behaviors. So when I talk to HR leaders in companies, Usually they're larger, you know, hundred to, to thousands or tens of thousands of employees. What do you think your most important number should be? And you've got the HR senior team there. And 
they always say, well, it's either retention or engagement. That's what it has to be. And they're all like nodding. Yep, that's it. That's what's important. So great. Well, let's play this out. Let's just say you hired me today. I'm going to run HR for the organization. We have a thousand employees and uh, I'm going to make retention the most important numbers. That's all I care about. Now, fast forward three years, I'm 95% retention. I'm best in class. Nobody can has ever come close to beating us. Never mind that 70 plus percent of our employees can't deliver on the outcome-based responsibilities for their roles, but I kept them and I won on, on my most important numbers. So that clearly doesn't drive the majority of the right behaviors. A better number for HR in this example would be percentage of seats filled with capable people, capable defined as those that are delivering or over-delivering on the outcome-based responsibilities for their role. Now I'm driving a lot more of the right behaviors. Now as an HR leader, my team, we're recruiting better, we're onboarding training better, we're ongoing training better, we're providing leaders with all the tools that they need to develop their people faster you know, regardless of the function that they're leading. Now I'm I, I'm measuring retention. I'm measuring engagement. However you do that, that's a whole other discussion. Uh, <laughs> but, but the percentage of team members that can achieve or over-deliver on their responsibilities, their outcome-based measurable responsibilities, that will drive the majority of the right behaviors. And I think it's, the, I think it's the right one. So every team will have that discussion. How, how does that uh, resonate with you? Yeah, it resonates. Now that you said, you know, the top few things that an HR leader says every time you got a whole bunch of sales leaders. I'm really interesting. What are the ones that sales leaders turn to every time? Um, what I get a lot and it's really surprising is just um, straight up revenue. Like all we care about is revenue, you know, coming in the door. And, and all revenue obviously is not created equal. You know, some revenue is more profitable than others. But at the end of the day, it's the value of what the sales team is producing. So typically, it's some version of profitable revenue. And there's a whole lot of things that go into it. And, and whatever we can charge for out there, um, we can't charge more than the market will pay. We just we can't. Um, and we don't want to undercharge and leave a lot on the table. So I think it's really important for a sales team to have, uh, you know, actually every organization that's for profit to have a pricing policy. Like what is a pricing policy? And I've, I've never heard anybody say this is our pricing policy and it was definitive and everybody on the sales team understood it. A pricing policy that I really like and I've used it in all my businesses is to charge the highest possible price while being the best value alternative and encouraging future business. That's the pricing policy. So if we well, can you say that again, I think that's a really good like nugget right there. Will you like again? We got a lot of people, and listen, people get pricing pressure. Our listeners right now, you got their attention because there's some schools of thought, thought that say the fastest way to increase sales is raise prices. That's some people think that. Hmm. Um, some people have to raise their prices. Some people have unrealistic prices. Pricing is always an interesting challenge. Um, and so I'm interested in your thoughts about that. If you don't mind saying that one more time, I'd appreciate that. Yeah, let, let's dig into it a little bit as well. Um, the pricing policy that I like for any for-profit organization is to charge the highest possible price while being the best value alternative and encouraging future business. Because we want to sustain and grow and accelerate this for the long haul. We don't want a bunch of quick wins. So when I look at the highest price that we can charge, well, what will the market um, bear essentially out there? 
And if the competitors are charging a thousand bucks, I can't charge a thousand and one, assuming it's a straight commodity. But if their delivery and quality has significant issues, maybe I can charge fifteen hundred bucks because, in the long run, it's better value for the customer. You know, short example: um, looking at an aerospace business that I sold in twenty sixteen. Uh, if we were providing equipment that we repaired and overhauled and manufactured for a Boeing 747 to an uh, aircraft operator, and we were on time, they they serve, they change out the equipment, everything's great, the thing flies and it makes a million dollars each leg that it that it flies. Our competitor comes in and does it for 20% less, but they're a week late. So now here's seven days that that plane can't fly. So what did, what did it matter, right? So we could charge a premium because we always were on time, you know, with our core mm. products. And so there's a lot that goes into what's the highest price you can charge. And then the, the best value alternative is that total value. Yes, we're higher, but when you go with the competition, it ends up costing you a lot more. And here's all the nuances that go into it. And, you know, every business is going to be different. Is it a product? Is it a service? Is it more of a commodity? Is it less of a commodity? And, and then the last part of it, um, to encourage future business, um, I've been in a position a lot of times to gouge on price because there was no other availability. And I refused to do it because even though I know they would pay at that one time, they would never buy from me again if they had an option and they would tell two friends, if not 10 friends. It seems like when they have a good experience, they tell a friend. When they have a bad experience, they tell 10 friends. So yeah. I like I like all three components of that. You know, what's the highest we can charge and and still be the best value alternative and encourage future business. And the highest we can charge, it's it's looking at the market, it's looking at the competition and all of that. And it's not even reasonable to have the discussion say, oh, you can't charge that because it takes us, you know, let's say it's $1,000 again, it costs us $1,200 to do it. So you have to charge $1,800. Well, the market won't pay it. Operations job is to figure out how to do that for 300 bucks, right? There's two things going on here and we're all partners as we're working on this, you know, going through. So did, did that dig in? Yeah, it's, it's awesome. I, I I really like that. And so, that's going to be a video we put on sales and just be united for sure. That's a really great nugget. Highest possible price while being the best value alternative and encouraging future business. Nailed it's it. really good. It solves short and long-term objectives. And so I have another, what I think to me is an obvious point place I want to go. And I've worked with enough customers and I especially know that inside companies it's different, but I know my sales my sales peeps that are listening to me, I know these people well, I'm one of them. <laughs> and and I'm, it's interesting to me that they often start with revenue at all costs. I want to come back to that because I want to talk about traps that you've seen leaders fall into that we should avoid. But I really want to spend a minute on value if you can, if you don't mind. I, there's a lot of ways of looking at value. One of my favorite quotes that's not mine, I can't even tell you who said it, but it's been around forever. Values in the eye of the beholder, right? Um and there's lots of times that we get what I like to call pretty baby syndrome. And we think what we have is so valuable. Mm -hmm. How do you find out how people value things? Like it, there's going to be lots of answers, but when you help companies figure out how to be the highest value uh, uh, alternative, how do you help people find out what really is valued? Yeah, I, 
I think it's good in some ways, but it's also super dangerous that 90% of the companies that I interact with, they love their stuff way more than their customers do. And, and then when the customers don't love it, they try to explain to the customer why they're wrong. It's like, okay, you've completely missed the boat here. And it all has to be about focus groups and what's that whole experience around consuming our product or service. And, and then what are the next two or three things we can do to improve that perceived value? Because you're completely right. The value is in the eye of the beholder, the, the one that wants to do business with you. If they see value, great. If they don't, they don't. And if they don't and you tell them they're wrong, that just doesn't go very well in my experience. So value is about how the market responds and that's it. And, and then, I mean, there's so many places this could go from here. Um, you know, back to the pricing policy. And, you know, I, I think a lot about relationships uh, with our customers. And, you know, some of your sales folks are, they're dealing with thousands and thousands of customers. Others might have just a few, you know, a couple of dozen. But I always like to be in a position to um, always get a second, if not third chance to be the best value alternative if we miss it on price. I love that. because the How do you do that? That's a really interesting concept. How do you do that? Yeah, for, for me, it's about the relationships that you have with your customers. You know, think about um, think about putting yourself in the in the shoes of your customers and you want to be successful. And and then think back and every one of the listeners uh, to this podcast, think back to the managers that genuinely cared about you and wanted you to win. And, and my experience says that's a pretty small percentage. Most of them are just about the numbers and flying forward, but I can go back in time and find a couple of people. I mean, all the way back to when I was a cook at a, at a restaurant in high school and having gone through maybe, you know, 30 different managers, one of them really cared about me. And I still remember his name and everything about the interactions. So now look at the customers. Do your customers feel like you care about their success or, or do you want just, they just think you want their money and you're, and you're like everyone else. So how do we make them feel about doing business with us? Do we really care about their success? And the stronger those relationships are and we really understand what's important to them. Um, my experience says that more and more, a higher percentage of the time, um, they will give you, if you miss it on price, a second chance to be the best value alternative. Hey, Lee, um, just a little high over here. Now, some of them just will ask for lower, lower, lower all the time. Yeah, you know, negotiation is important. But if you have a really good relationship and you know when it's real, um, they'll give you a second or third chance to be the best value alternative, and that can work. Well, I want to sit in value for a little bit longer, if you don't mind. Yeah. Excuse me. Because well, I think this is a really big topic that sometimes the word value kind of degrades into a buzzword. Mm. And um, and it's because of this eye and the beholder stuff. And I like I like what you said. I, I'm already done with my first page of notes. This is crazy, man. Um, uh, I, I, I like what you said that um, value is about how a market responds, dot, dot, dot. And that's it. And that's it. And I think that's really well said. I think it's very simple, very, very smart. I've always thought that there's only two ways you can be valuable. And as a value expert, I can't wait to talk to you about this for a minute. I've thought that way one is you can solve a problem that somebody cares about. Or way two, you can achieve a result that someone cares about. And it's not that it's a problem and it's not that it's a result. It's that they care about it. So it's a priority. Mm -hmm. it, it, 
is it like what are your thoughts on that i'd love to i'd love to like just talk about is there like a best way to look at value like this idea of the market responds is you know some people might say man i i don't want to go do a bunch of focus groups do you have to like any thoughts around value how it's created or any of those thoughts i just i'd love to get more thoughts on value because i think it's so critical yeah, without going too far down the value creation rabbit hole, when most people think value, and first, I think the word is just used as a buzzword, maybe virtue signaling to some degree, et cetera. But we want meaty things we can sink our teeth into. And when I think about value, there's three main buckets that I create value. Let's, let's one, go. One, one is material value. The second one is emotional energy value. And the third is spiritual value. That's how I think about value creation. And when I look at an organization, um, emotional energy value, what does it feel like to be there? When you walk in as a sales leader, do you uplift your team because of the energy you bring in, bring in or do you take them down? And the higher the emotional energy value that we create, um, it supercharges everything else that we do, especially the material value that we are that we're creating. And creating value to me, when I think about it in an organization, it's about creating value for all stakeholders, every team member, every customer, every investor, shareholders, et cetera. It's, it's total value all the way through and increasing the value of the organization collectively over time. So that's, that's how mm -hmm. I think about value going forward. So what is the best value? Well, it again, that goes back to the marketplace. Who do they perceive to be the best value? Even if you're more money like Apple or Starbucks coffee, um, they see the value in that, in that experience, the community, you know, whatever that happens to be. Well, is there any advice that you'd give to these sales leaders that are listening? You know, sometimes it's easy to have people say that I value X, Y, or Z, but at the end of the day, they want to get three or four bids and if, as long as they think all the capabilities are the same, we're going with the best price. Is there any advice on on how to like find out what these people prioritize? I, I'm anything there? Yeah, it, to me, it goes back to how much time do you put into developing the relationships and understanding their business. Okay. And if I, I mean, I go to construction, I hear it all the time with, with our clients out there, you know, we put all these bids in, we don't get it. And they're just mechanically walking through the bids. And I ask them, well, what do you put into understanding those businesses, the those relationships and building them? They don't put much into it. And, and so if you just want to be a straight up commodity and submit forms and hope you get approved um, or you win one or two or, or all of them, then you're, you're probably getting what you get. But it, and it can take a little bit of time to develop those relationships and understanding of these businesses that we want to work with. Uh, but it always gets better when you put the time in. You know, and what I like to say is there's always a better way than you can think of today. And it's your job as a leader to find it. And, and, and what is that? And, and so let's, let's dig in and what does it mean for our customers to be wildly successful you know in the b2b realm um you know b2c what what does that um look like and the more you understand it and the more you dig in there's no end to how far you can go in creative ways to have more profitable sales around it i love it um Last thing on, man, I got so many things I want to do. It's, I'm, I'm looking at my time. I'm like, okay, where do I prioritize this? Because I love the conversation, man. This is like those three types of value. 
Are they in that order, by the way, material, emotional energy, and then spiritual? Are they in that order? Or are they equally weighted? Or are they different for every person? You know, I, I think everyone has a value creation superpower that's stronger in one, but I think everybody to some degree plays in all of them, even if spiritual, because that's so different to everyone, is just connectedness and love. But I think everybody plays in, in all of them. I actually just wrote a, another book, uh, published it a couple months ago with my co-author, Scott Donald, called Value Creation Kid, The Healthy hmm. Struggles Your Children Need to Succeed. And we talk about all of these buckets of value creation, lots of examples. And I've always thought the purpose of an education is to create value in the world, not get a good grade, get a diploma, get a degree, get a job. That's not very insightful. What have we told our kids right in kindergarten coming in? Hey, the whole purpose of an education is to create value. What do you think your value creation superpower is? And I and I think um, most kids have an, an uh, sort of an, an untapped value creation superpower that they're not connecting the dots on. And a lot of adults aren't connecting the dots on it. And the salespeople that are the absolute best in my experience out there, and this is sort of in the in the B2B world, um, they they have amazing emotional energy value that they create in the relationships. What's it like to be around them? People just want to be around them. And, and then it helps with everything as we go forward. I mean, I, I'm a big believer in being super ethical. I used to do business in 60 countries around the world with one of my aerospace companies. And Wow. It, was, it was not an equitable level playing field. And I had uh, uh, business development managers over each region of the world. We had reps in, in all the countries and, and we had to, we had to, you know, play ball, but we would never be unethical. We would never uh, buy business or do any of that. And we still figured out a way to win everywhere in Middle East, South America, Asia, didn't, it didn't matter. Um, but the, the business development managers, our customers loved them, just loved them. Okay. So, so this is the perfect way to shift then. That's a killer story. I'm thinking about maybe my favorite leadership word right now. And my, my word of the month or word of the quarter or word of the year will shift. But right now, the the word that I think is the one that is hitting me the most as I work with leaders all around the world is intentional. And I believe that anything you leave to accident, like you limit your ability from being like elite, like your, your, your term again, I want to use it. Like it's the best value alternative. So best, not the, you know, not middle of the road, not, you know, you want to be the best value. So if you want to be elite or best at anything, I think you have to be intentional about it. And if you're accidental in anything leadership related, you, you take what could be elite and you make it so the best you can hope for is average. And sometimes when you're accidental, it gets worse than average. It gets poor and, and, and sometimes even toxic. Any, any thoughts around the process of being intentional? You talked about how to find it. You talked about, so now that you figure out what that value metric is or that, what it means to be valuable, mm -hmm. any thoughts around how leaders can be intentional, like making that part of the DNA of a team? Yeah. Well, we, we talked earlier about having a pricing policy. Yep. Most companies don't have anything that strong. They just don't. Um, how many companies have a definition of what it means to be a leader in their organization? Not many. Not many. I know that. I know that. Yeah. Right. And I and I think the definition of being a leader in any organization, a, a really good one that I, I use just about everywhere, is to get results 
and foster an environment where every team member is intrinsically motivated and empowered to create more value over time. Say that one more time. I really like that. I want to jot that down. You got it. Um, definition is get results. Okay. And foster an environment where yep. every team member is intrinsically motivated and empowered to create more value over time. Awesome. So then you um, move backwards from there. What does it take to create an environment where every team member acts like the CEO of their own role and they're just all about creating as much value as they can in full alignment with every other team in the organization? This seems like it's fun to talk about, but I would imagine executing on this can be challenging. I imagine that you know planning is something you do, but executing is totally different. Is there any thoughts around planning versus executing and something like this? Yeah. When, when you read my book, your most important number, there's a chapter on strategy. Okay. And the subtitle is, um, you know, congratulations, you're 3% of the way there. So putting a strategy together, going through a planning session, whatever you want to call it, that's at best 3%. 97% is executing on it. And it goes back to what's your intentional way of executing on strategy and creating value. So my experience, you know, the, the largest company that I built had uh, over 500 team members and every one of them acted like the CEO of their own role because every team had their number. Um, they had their role, very clear outcome-based responsibilities and, and how we met, how we checked in, how we made decisions even though the teams did things that were pretty significantly different in most cases from other teams, uh, it made it really easy to get around aligning to creating value. And if somebody went from one team to another, they didn't have to learn a new language, get, get the feel for a new leader and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's actually way easier than you would think. Uh, the challenge is most companies just don't do it. You know, some say that they they do they use OKRs or 40x or EO at scaling up. There's so many different operating methodologies out there, and the challenge with most of the methodologies is that they make process more important than what is most important, which should be creating value and the most value as a team. And and that's where they go off the rails. And I'll, I'll even ask senior leaders, so what, what's your operating methodology? And they'll say, oh, we use OKRs and we love them, which stands for objectives and key results. And I'll ask them, explain to me how that works. And they don't have a very clear explanation. Well, how's it going as you, you know, move from the, the top level out, out to the front line? Well, once you get down two levels, it's a disaster. Well, how long have you been doing it? Well, like three years now. Well, no wonder it's a mess. So how is anybody going to act like the CEO of their own role if they haven't been told exactly the value that, that their team is supposed to be creating and then their part and how they play in it? So the, the, the real work here is what's the number? What are the drivers or categories of work each team should be really good at leveraging to improve the number? What is your role on that team? What are the two or three, max four outcome-based responsibilities that we can measure to see whether you're delivering or over-delivering? And what are the list of maybe it's 10 or 20 capabilities you need to be able to achieve those outcome-based responsibilities results? You have to put that basic structure in place. But once you've done that, wow, is it easy? 
every new team member that comes on board, yeah, you're filling this role. These are the outcomes that you're going to be held accountable to. How do you feel about that? Do you have these capabilities to be able to do it? Yes or no? And and maybe maybe you don't have it a couple of them, but that's exactly where we're developing them to develop those capabilities right away. And then the same thing with leaders, you know, leadership development. I know, uh, Rob, you do leadership coaching and and uh, the, the challenge with most leadership development programs that I've seen is they're one size fits all. And I'll ask. That's true. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll ask, um, you know, heads of HR and really large companies, what do you do for leadership development? Oh, it's fantastic. We got all these plans. We send people away to these, you know, three day retreats. And well, how's it going? Well, they love it. We sent surveys out afterwards and they say they they really enjoyed it. I said, well, do you have any connection to whether that leadership development training measurably improved their, their results? Like, what are their numbers they're held accountable to? And can you make a connection? 100% of the time, no, we got nothing. So how do you know it worked? Well, um, they, they said- liked They, they, they liked they, it. They liked it. They liked it. And I so I always ask the question and I'm- half joking, but mostly not. Why don't you just buy them movie tickets instead? That way you won't waste their time, that much of the company's uh, resources, and they'll get to see something they want to see. You know, it's the thing I like about the mind methodology. If I look at a leader and, okay, here's your most important number. Here's where you're at on it today. Here's where you're supposed to be in the future. And are you, uh, per that plan, are you on track at risk or behind or hopefully overdriving at any point in time? If you're behind, I can go look at the best work you and your team are doing to, to you know, be on track with that number or over deliver on it. And I know within 15 minutes of exactly where that leader needs to be developed. And that's the surgical leadership development we should be doing with every single leader out there. And more on that, but what do you think? No, I, I think you're dead on. In fact, I want to make sure I, I, I was enjoying what we were talking about so much. We, we didn't get to this other important part that you just went to. Let's talk about this mind methodology real, really quick. We have about 10 minutes left, and I'd like you to introduce that that methodology. Let's talk about why it's so helpful. I think there's a lot of people that are going to find it really interesting, and I, I think this is a, a really good conversation point. So why don't you introduce that? Yeah, the, the mind methodology is really a year journey that I've taken uh, trying to figure out what will work for 80% plus of all teams and any type of organization of any size anywhere. And, and I've gone through so many different things that, that I could make work, but nobody else could make work. Um, I even had, uh, when I was running my aerospace business, the larger one that I mentioned, I had Jack Welch, former CEO of General Electric, say, this is the best business management system I've ever seen. If I had it at GE, the results would have been, would have been exponentially better. Let's go. Congratulations. But yeah, I mean, that that's great. Jack would have done it. I was able to do it. And, and it was more of a traditional goal setting model back then. But most CEOs couldn't. They didn't have the drive, the discipline, or any of that. And I learned, well, hey, you know what? Traditional goal setting really doesn't stand the test of time because every employee, whatever the system is, every quarter, every six months, come up with one to three goals, get it approved by your manager, rinse and repeat. When you go audit the goals, they're not very thoughtful and they're not connected to anything. And so, well, what will work with everyone? And if every team, regardless of the size of the organization, has a North Star that every team member is doing their best work to improve and you map this out throughout the entire organization, 
Um, and it all makes sense. Like if you start looking at the map and a number doesn't make sense because, hey, I know that one won't drive the majority of the right behaviors. And you go to the team and you start questioning them and then they modify it and they get it right. It also encourages cross-functional collaboration across the board. Mm. So the, the MIND methodology, again, it stands for most important number and drivers, um, all about doing less significantly better in whether you're a for-profit or nonprofit organization. I don't know if some of your members are in development around nonprofits. We have a lot of nonprofit uh, clients as well. Um, it, it just, it just makes it so much easier. But in there, and you can get this in my book, Your Most Important Number, we talk about how to set strategy, the most effective way to get uh, value out of meetings, which I think are wildly valuable. Most would say that they're a complete mm. waste of time. So rather than a clear purpose and rules of engagement for meetings, it's like a bunch of two and three person meetings in a larger meeting, and it's just some status check-in and you feel like you wasted your time. But we get at meetings, we get at strategy, we get at outcome-based responsibilities, we get at leadership development. All of this is outlined in my book, Your Most Important Number, and the last chapter is a DIY chapter. I get stories oh. every week from people around the world that have read the book they said, we went from a whole bunch of numbers and really struggling to, to make our budget every single month um, to giving everybody, every leader, one most important number, still measure the other stuff. And all of a sudden, we're 3%, 5% or more over every month. And it only took us a couple of months to make the change. So it's a it's an operating methodology, a way to create value faster as an organization, Um that I've just learned after so much studying and work with, you know, probably hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of leaders and watching their teams and what goes on. It just works virtually all the time. And my goal is I wanted something that would work 80% or more of the time. And, and so we've got, we, we've got this. And, and again, the book really outlines it well. Well, there's two more things I want to hit you with before we run out of time. And I want to make sure you have plenty of time to, Make sure our our listeners know how to get a hold of you. Uh, I'm guessing that this mind method, this the most important number drivers, it simplifies things. Like I think that we have so many metrics. We can have a metric for any freaking thing we want. We can prove anything or disprove anything that we want. I swear, mm -hmm. and it's led to yet another generation of spreadsheet leadership and dashboard jockeys that are out there. Um, does this simplify how you use metrics as a leader? Yeah, it, it simplifies all of it. You know, the test for me and the most important number are the two things we talked about. And then anything else that we measure, I'll ask the question, how are you using this to make better decisions to improve your team's most important number? And if they don't have a good answer, then stop measuring it. Like, why is it there? And uh, a great example uh, at the senior level start working with a new organization. The CFO will put out these monthly reports and I'll go through, it'll take me four hours to read through it, but everything's here. And I'm, I'm super good at connecting dots and using the information to create value. But I'll, I'll ask every one of the senior leaders, hey, how are you using this information to make better decisions to create value faster as an organization? And they got nothing. And the hmm. CFOs, most of the time, not all the time, the CFOs feel great about themselves and how amazing their reports are and look how good we are. And I said, you know what? I kind of grade you a D or less. 
as a CFO, your job as a CFO, in my opinion, is to help every single leader in the organization discover, not cram it down their throats, discover the two, three, or four numbers that are the most meaningful to them that they can make decisions around to help improve profitability or cash flow in the organization. So until you've done that, um, you're failing giving these complex reports that people aren't really using other than looking, oh, total sales, and hey, there was something left over at the bottom. What are those numbers? And then and then I really, I, I want to touch on um, this cross-functional collaboration. So when I think about right. sales, how does sales interact with marketing and product and or service delivery? How do those three things work together? Because usually it's an adversarial relationship. It's crazy. I mean, I, I don't know what you see out there, but you should be at the hip with marketing and you should both be at the hip with delivery of product or service and what's going on, the messaging and everything else, because all customers and all sales aren't created equal. Some are more profitable than others. And I, I remember, you know, one time um, a long time ago on the aerospace side, marketing says that, you know, we're, we want to get to another, you know, 400 or 500 potential customers this year. And they're showing me clicks on the, you know, how many people went to the website. I said, let's look at it another way. So we've got the total addressable market globally. If they send us an order, we could service it. Okay, great. Now show me our top 25 customers. What percentage of that addressable market do we have? Oh, we've got about hmm. 21%. Okay. What if we pour all of our efforts into getting to 50%? Ah. Exactly. And lo and behold, two years later, we doubled the business just with the top 25. And yet they weren't going that way. And then marketing and their messaging with delivering the product, which we repaired, overhauled, and manufactured aircraft parts, all, all the service, the aftermarket, i.e. safely reducing aircraft operating costs by you know, maintaining them you know, more effectively and, of course, safely. Um, all of this stuff goes together. If we're not delivering properly, it's hard for sales to go in and, and commit to a delivery date when we're if we're late half the time, you know, depending. And then what's mark? So all all of them have to be at the hip. They each have their most important numbers. They have the other numbers they're measuring that are really important to help them make good decisions. And when they start really collaborating, brainstorming around how to help each other improve their most important numbers, it's pure magic where it goes. But typical metrics around, you know, clicks and likes and, oh, look at the new color palette that we have for for our yeah. brand and, and everything else. Really, do our customers care about that? I kind of laugh when I look at the early days and our, our cool brochures of myself and the team and a picture of our building. It's like our customers don't care about that. They, they cared about getting, you know, an aircraft component back that was safe and reliable and and they could count on the on the delivery of that. I'm glad you said that. I think that there's still a a, a lot of people, and I know a lot of them, that are they still think you can activity manage a team to success. And I love that you said that clicks and calls and stuff like that. Yeah, it's good to know what that is, but that that's not the one metric to rule them all. And and activity metrics are not as effective i don't think today as they were yeah back in 2012 when they became in vogue listen we're we are out of time I, but i have one more thing i gotta ask you man yeah are there any traps you told me that people often pick the wrong number first and you got to figure it out over time and you know sometimes it's retention and sometimes it's just growth and any traps you got a bunch of sales leaders here that have loved this conversation 
before we turn it back over and have you tell them how to get a hold of you, is there like one, two, maybe three traps you'd say, hey, as you're looking at this way that you create values, you're looking at this way of simplifying things, here are a couple of things you might want to be careful about. Yeah, the, the best way to avoid traps coming up with the most important number is to don't just jump on the first one or two that somebody brings. Okay, that's it. And let's run with it. Really test it. Make a list of if we if this is our number, what are all the behaviors that will help us that it will drive? And what is a list of potential behaviors that will hurt us that it will drive? And make that a serious exercise that you go through along those lines. You know, it's like sales commission plans. Um, I can laugh now, but I, I go back to, you know, you've got salespeople all over the world and, and with the best of intentions, I put this really cool plan in place and I spend half my time dealing with the dysfunction associated with my well thought, thought out on paper uh, commission plan. And then I completely turned it on its head and all the problems went away. And that's probably a discussion for another time and how to think about that. Every business product service is going to be a little bit to significantly different. There's no cookie cutter approach, but for each team, really be thoughtful about what that number is and try to have the same conversation with the leader of marketing and the leader of a product or service delivery. And how do, how do those things synergize? And if you if you take that serious, you won't fall into you know, much of a trap in my experience. You're awesome. This has been so good, Lee. How, how do people get in touch with you? How do they follow you? How do they find you? How do they get a hold of your resources? How do they get your book? You know, we're going to put a whole bunch of links in our show notes to make it easy, but yeah. make sure that everybody knows how they can connect to, to you. Sure. One, one of the easiest ways is just to go to our website, which is etw.com. That's it. You can get the book there. Um, you can learn about the CEO execute masterminds there. And we work with companies. If you want us to help um, your company um, implement the mind methodology, we do that work as well. Um, awesome. as, far, as far as the book goes, we're in 40,000 plus different channels out there. Anywhere you can buy a book, you can find it. And the audio book, I do 25 minute um, interviews after each chapter for even more insights and backgrounds. And, and I, for those of you that are just listening, you won't notice, but I'm actually doing this from my home recording studio. When I finished narrating the book, which I did right here in, in my studio, I just picked up the guitar and did an impromptu three and a half minute guitar solo and stuck it at the end of the book. It's Let's kind of, go. It's one of the ways I know somebody listened to the whole book, but now I just spoil alerted that, <laughs> that it's out there. <laughs> so it even has a secret track. I haven't even heard about a secret track since the days of CDs ended, man. So exactly. um this was awesome. Um, I want to give you a one last minute, just if we were to wrap up and put a bow on it, this is a chance for you to kind of put the cherry on top. We've talked a lot, a lot of things, man. We've talked about being intentional with how you create value. We've talked about that you can actually develop value creation superpowers and, and how, if you, if you focus on this intentionally, you can simplify and, and, and traps and types and, Pretty baby syndrome. It's been a killer conversation. We covered a lot of ground, man. If you were to try and wrap this up and give one final thought to 50,000 sales leaders that are like right now saying, huh, how do I make this happen for me? What would you say? Yeah, your job as a leader, like I talked about earlier, is to get results and foster this amazing environment where every team member is really intrinsically motivated to create more and more value over time. And 
I've worked with, uh, you know, folks over the years, had had one gentleman, I, I still stay in touch with him. The first year he sold a million dollars. And the last year when I sold the business, um, I think he sold close to $40 million. And this was over the span of, gosh, I don't know, 13, 14 years. And when he sold a million, he said, I could never do more than that. So your job is to develop everybody. There's no end to how much value can be created. I mean, it's possible for one person to sell a billion dollars a year, depending on the on the business. So think about it that way. Be really intentional about how you create value and how it fits in with the rest of the organization. And I highly encourage you to get my book, Your Most Important Number, so you understand all of the elements of this. And it's something you can easily do because it simplifies complexity. And I think we all need that. His name is Lee Benson. He's helping people create value at monumental levels. And if all of us as sales leaders are being asked to, to have the best year that the company's ever had, and that's what we're asked as sales leaders, to have the best year the company's ever had just every year, then that means we got to get better at creating value every year. And, and if you want to become an expert in that creation of value, you would do yourself a favor by getting a hold of that book and giving it a look. Uh, Lee, thank you. On behalf of 50,000 listeners all around the world, thank you for joining us. Congratulations on your success. And as I say to everyone, happy selling. Thank you, Rob. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast, where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? But first, this episode is brought to you by Sales Leadership United. Since 2019, Sales Leadership United has lived on Patreon and it's grown to become the largest collection of sales leadership assets in the world. I could not be more excited to announce that Sales Leadership United now has its own home. Sales Leadership United has moved off of Patreon and you can find us now at salesleadershipunited.com. Listen, I coach over 100 sales leaders, big companies, new companies, every industry. New to leadership, new to the company, everything in between. These are the most seasoned sales leaders in the world and some of the newest sales leaders in the world. And one thing that they all have in common is every single one of them wants more tools, more insights, more perspectives. They ask me questions like, how do you create systems? How do you create foundations? How do you create change? How do you coach? How do you lead up, manage up? Connect to a totally different generation. But the number one question I get, it's simple and it never changes. It's a version of this. What are other leaders like me doing to solve problems like the ones I'm facing? And that's why you need to check out Sales Leadership United. Tools, training, techniques. Perspective that comes from the benefit of thousands of hours with other leaders from all around the world. If you haven't checked out Sales Leadership United, head to salesleadershipunited.com and use the code ROB to get a free trial on me. That's salesleadershipunited.com and use the code ROB at the checkout to get a free trial on me. What an awesome conversation with Lee. I am still fired up about this conversation. I've channeled a lot of Lee in some of my coaching conversations in the last few weeks because I think the word leaders need to be focused on right now, maybe more than any other. It's a word Lee gave us some incredible insights around. Now, what is that word you may ask? That word is possibly the most important word for us. That word is intentional. Intentional. I've learned that accidental anything that pertains to leadership leads to average impact at best. Accidental culture, you can expect poor to average culture. 
Accidental skills, you can expect poor to average skills. Accidental operating rhythm, you can expect poor to average cadence for your team. See what I'm saying? Just yesterday, I was on a call with a fantastic leader who I've coached for about a year. He's had remarkable success. Good things are happening there. And we took a minute to point that out and talk about how he leads these 12 leaders and they've gotten to a point where there's a lot of good things that are happening. But he was the one that pointed this out to me. He said, Rob, right now we're shifting where we've got to move past the stage of working hard and just making sure that we're doing the right activities. What I want us to be is more intentional, more intentional as leaders, more intentional as reps. And that led to a really interesting conversation where we identified nine places that we could be intentional. So when Lee brought up the idea that we need to be intentional about how we create value, well, he had me at hello. Your ability to create ongoing predictable sales and revenue is going to come down to your ability to create value. Creating value in the sales process will lead to predictable wins. Creating value in the customer experience will lead to predictable retention and growth. As leaders, we must remember that if we want recurring revenue, we must create recurring impact. And if we create recurring impact, we can create recurring value. And to do that, we need to engineer recurring experiences. Now, this doesn't just apply to your customers. Yes, you need to help your reps be intentional about how they create value, no matter where they are in the customer lifecycle with any customer. But you also need to create value for those you lead. Be intentional about the creation of value. If you can get that right, if you can get how you create value right, and if you can scale that, this is going to overcome so many other challenges. And I hope you can see why this is different than just work hard or activity management or keep your head down and stay in your lane. Okay. And that is exactly why this episode with Lee is so very, very important. It's why I'm so proud to have him on our show. Lee gave us a masterclass on the creation of value. He identifies three types of value you can create. Go listen to those. Uh, take notes around those. Be intentional with those. He, he talks about how to be intentional in the creation of these important ways that you can create value. He even shares an, a proven framework on how you can make this happen. Now, and I think he's right. Having everyone on the same page in regards to how you create value, that's how you're going to do your best work. He's dead on. Uh, so let's put this into context. As we re release this, we're, we're in the middle of the second half of 2023. We're preparing for that second half push. Don't fall into the trap of just working harder. Don't just push the more button. I was on a call with a leader with their whole team earlier this week, and all it was was the more button. I had to circle back with them afterwards saying, man, we got to do better than that. Instead, be more intentional, not just more, be more intentional and about a lot of things, but particularly be more intentional about how you create value. And don't make that stupid mistake about using value as a buzzword. I hear it all the time. I hear it from marketers. I hear it from salespeople. Listen, sales can only come one of two ways. You can solve a problem people care about, or you can achieve a result people care about. Value is in the eye of the receiver. Um, I think more people use value as a buzzword than want to admit it. I believe creation of value is a superpower. It's one you can build. There's a handful of leadership superpowers. How to create value is one of them, okay? You can turn this in a way to not just land customers. 
It will help you with that. It will also help you build a fortress around those customers. So double down on making it crystal clear for every member of your team on how you create value. You solve problems people care about or you achieve results people care about. It's, it's either or. Maybe both, but it's nothing else. So create clarity with every member of your team. Create clarity on how to connect to the things your, your clients care about and on how to connect to the things your individual reps care about too. This discussion will help you create impact in new and more meaningful ways. So go back, take notes, listen to this one more than once, and then head to Sales Leadership United where you can access clips from this discussion to use with your team. Lee, thank you so much for joining me. Our conversation inspired me. Thank you for shining light on what it means to create value and why it matters so much. It was timely. Thank you for sharing with 50,000 listeners around the world. And to our listeners, take my advice and connect with Lee. Reach out to him with questions. Follow his journey because it's a good one. Buy his book. Read it. I, I've got my hands on it. It's fantastic. Implement his ideas on how to be more intentional about creating value because you'll be glad you did. Listen, I've got all the links you need in my show notes to make it easy for you to find his tools, find his resources, and connect with them. And trust me, you will, you will be really, really glad you've connected with Lee. Finally, thanks to each of you, our listeners. The greatest compliment you can give is to share the show with those you work with. Share the show with colleagues that you have. Introduce them to the Sales Leadership Podcast. Leave us a review on iTunes. Keep the DMs coming. I love hearing how the show is impacting you on your, on your career. Keep bringing me recommendations of people we got to get on the show. And you can support the show by checking out Sales Leadership United. Head over to salesleadershipunited.com and, and, and use that free code of Rob. I think you'll be really glad you did. Thank you for support of the Sales Leadership Podcast. Our job as sales leaders is to create life-changing years for the people you lead. If you liked this message, please share it this week with someone who needs to hear it and then get after it because life is short. You got no guarantee of what comes tomorrow. Maximize what you do today, be elite, live strong and chase your passions and do your best work so you can live your best life. And don't ever forget, you got this and I got you. Thank you so much for joining the Sales Leadership Podcast, the award-winning sales leadership podcast for those sales leaders looking to create legendary impact to those they lead. The greatest compliment you can give is to share this show and any of your favorite episodes with your fellow sales leaders, social media followers, or other communities you're part of. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by the Jepson Performance Group. If you want to discuss any of the topics discussed on the show, want to level up your leadership impact, discuss executive coaching services, or even include me at an upcoming event, hit me up at rob at jetpg.com. That's rob at jeppg.com. And to those of you working to become a legendary sales leader, I salute you and wish you much success on your journey. Whenever you need someone in your corner, you know where to find me.